Hello, everybody, and welcome to Troy Rafferty and the People's Voice, and I am thrilled to have Fred Robbins, Super Bowl champion, businessman, philanthropist, uh, local icon, uh, here with me today. And so we're going to have a real interesting conversation, and uh, I want to thank you for being here, Fred. This really means a lot to me. Hey, it means a lot for, uh, for you to have me, man. I'm excited to be here, and, and thank you. Well, let's talk a little bit. You went to Tate High School. Oh, yeah. And now a lot of people might not know that you were actually a baseball player, too. Yeah, I've been, uh, that was the first sport I started playing was baseball. I've been playing baseball uh, since I was five, you know, and uh, I didn't start playing football until I got to, uh, to high school, you know. So baseball was my favorite sport. You know, I, I still love it, you know, even to this day. And so football was kind of grooming. It's just when you become one of the biggest guys in the school, <laughs> you know, everybody expects you to play, you know, football. So it, it grew on me and hey, it, it all worked out. So so Tate obviously has a long history mm-hmm. of great, great, great athletes coming out of there. Yeah. Uh, the great Don Sutton. Don Sutton. Don yes. Sutton came mm-hmm. out of there, baseball. And you and, and so tell, tell, tell me a little bit about what it was that made you go from baseball to football. You know, uh, you know, I always wanted to play football growing up. You know, but uh, it was you know back then it was the weight issue. I was I, I always a big kid, and so I would have had been playing with uh, you know, the older kid. kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, but it's just you know baseball, and I play you know a little bit of basketball. You know, just uh, you know here and there, but just something to keep me going. Uh, but when I got to high school, you know, I just decided, hey, look, this is what I've been wanting to do for a while. And so uh, I remember going into high school my freshman year of summer program. You know, the coach was like, look, hey, you can do baseball the first half of the day, then football the second half. And so that's what I did, you know. And so, I became, so was it, was it, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mm-hmm. mean to interrupt you, but was it, so was it love, like, did you just have a, a specific love for the sport of football over baseball? Or did you just, or did it just kind of grow naturally on you? Obviously, yeah. Super Bowl champion. <laughs> I mean, yeah. obviously, you've done very yeah. well in football, but yeah. I'm just curious. You know, what, was it just a love of the sport? Yeah, it was a love. You know, like I said, I always wanted to play it. You know, um, my dad kind of held me out. Uh, but then my favorite athletes growing up was Bo Jackson and Dion. They were both two-sport guys. And so when I got to high school, like the coach, I was like, hey, you can do both. You know, there's no, you know, you, you can if you want to. And so, uh, but I had success doing it, you know. Uh, and this crazy thing about it is I played my freshman year and I, I didn't like football. You know what really? I mean? I, did, I, I didn't like it, and so I didn't play it all again uh, until, like, my junior year. You know, uh, I didn't play my sophomore what year What was it all. you didn't like about it? I'm you curious know, I, well, about I wanted, that. I wanted to be, like, the running back, you know, uh, but they wanted me to play offensive line. And I was like, <laughs> nobody wants to be offensive lineman. And so uh, – You're in the trenches. <laughs> yeah, in the trenches, man. And I, I was like, I don't know, this ain't for me. Uh, and then, you know, I sat up my whole uh, sophomore year, but I had a growth spurt. Uh, another growth spur, I should say. <laughs> uh, and then 11th grade year, uh, you know, coach, like, look, hey, come out and try football again. You know what I mean? I think you really would enjoy it now. And so I came back out and I started playing defensive line and tight end, you know, and uh, I, I loved it. You know what I mean? I was having good success that I was starting. And, and so here it is, you know, just one thing led to the next. Well, you know, you, you're an incredible leader in mm-hmm. our community. Yeah. You really Thank are. You. you and your wife both do yeah. great uh, charitable work, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Robbins' neighborhood. Um, you guys, you guys are are wonderful. What brought you back to the community? Because you you you've played for New York, mm-hmm. you've played for the Rams, you've played for all these teams. Yeah. Well, three, I think three teams, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But so, what brought you back? What drove you 
to come back to Pensacola because I want to talk a little bit about our community mm-hmm. and we're going to talk a little we're going to talk a lot about what all the charitable work you do but what is it that drove you back here you know I, I think deep down uh, I always wanted to you know to come back but when I had success you know like in New York you know, uh, you know, people trying to you know drive me back to New York because we were doing some some good things in New York as well. But back home, people just saying, "Look, hey, you know, our kids, you know, just need need help." You know what I mean? And we didn't have, I felt like the means like other big cities. You know, so um, I'm, I just wanted to come back. I felt it was a need for me to come back and just help out the kids who were kind of going the same path that I went down. And I understand how hard it is, you know, and how to stay focused. You know, so. That was my drive to really come back, you know, where it started for me to kind of help the new up-and-coming kids, man, have success, you know, down the line, down the road. Well, and you've been doing a great job with that. And mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit for a few minutes about Mr. Robbins' Neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Tell, yeah. tell, t- tell all our listeners what that is and yeah. what the goal of it is. Yeah. Well, uh, it started, you know, I mean, we was doing Mr. Robbins' Neighborhood, you know, when I was in, with the, in New York with the Giants. And we have kids come, like, to the practices, you know, in, in New York, kids had, you know, good grades. They just couldn't really, you know, stay out of trouble. But when we came to Pensacola, it's like the total opposite. You know, at one point, we had, like, one of the lowest graduation rates in the state of Florida here in Pensacola. So kids weren't really getting in trouble. They just wasn't really the, – the education was, wasn't there. And so uh, we decided, like, look, instead of trying to help, you know, like that, that, that 1%, 1.5% of guys who do make it to college and maybe make it to the NFL – Let's try to help the 98.5% of kids who don't have any other plan, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's been our focus and our goal. You know, you're going to have those kids who are going to excel. They, they're going to have the avenues to go to college, right? But what happens to the other 98.5% of kids that play? And so that's been like our focus to kind of help them really push their education, show them alternative career paths and job choices. Hey, you might like sports, but here's some other careers in sports that you might like. You know, here's – and I bring in people – uh, that I needed to have successful a 12-year career, uh, nutritionist, you know, physical therapist, you know, uh, equipment manager, you know, so we bring in people to speak who, who make decent salaries for a long time, you know, and so we want to show those kids, like, what other careers are out there besides being a professional athlete. Because, because a lot of kids, I think, a lot of kids don't realize that there's a very few people who achieve the level that exactly. you achieve. Yes. They go in and 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 excel the way you excelled mm-hmm. in the Super Bowls and the NFL and in everything, and so it's important to develop those kids with other professions exactly to to do it because it it really is a rare thing to mm-hmm. be the talent that you are yeah but but to have them teach have them have you teach them mm-hmm. those things means something yeah so yeah. so tell tell me a little bit about leadership your thoughts on leadership you were you were named the captain mm-hmm. if i if i if i'm yeah, right yeah. you were the captain of the defense yes uh <laughs> and so what is it what is it about leadership that you teach kids that you what made you the leader that you made that you I, are I, I think just being able to listen okay you know i think just being able to listen hearing what other other guys views other people's opinions you know being Outspoken, uh, outspoken, but also just uh, you know letting guys know the hard truth. And I think you know guys and people respect when you're just totally honest and not just beating around the bush with them. And I think just learning how to uh, you know build relationships, you know with your teammates, you know your coaches, and 
everyone else around you. You know, I think you got to treat everyone the same uh, respect, and I think people take notice of that. You know, people will take notice if if I treat my teammates a, a certain way, but hey, I'm, I'm mean and rude to you know, uh, you know, the people in the cafeteria who cook our food every day for these athletes, you know. So I think all around people pay attention to how you navigate yourself, how you move, and that's what, you know, when guys – I think it was an honor for me, especially in New York with all the other guys that we had, you know, on the team, you know, uh, to be nominated you know, as captain, you know, uh, for the Giants. And I think that's really what really elevated me to more to even want to do more, you know, because now – I knew what I was capable of, but now I noticed that people also see the good in what I'm doing. And now you, and now you, coach and train and teach mm-hmm. uh, young athletes that are going into the combine. Yes. And uh, talk a little bit about the work you're doing out there at Andrews mm-hmm. uh, Institute, training these young athletes to get ready for the combine, which I guess yeah. is this week, right? It's this week. Yeah. It's this, yeah, this week. week. <laughs> well, yeah. which is why I, I am doubly appreciative of you being here because yeah. I imagine I imagine you got yeah. a lot going on. But but um, but talk a little bit about that and mm-hmm. the importance to you of yeah. that work. You know, I just feel like you know I have a lot a lot to offer. You know, now that I'm on the other side of the spectrum. You know, you know, as a coach, and I've been there and I played there. I understand what these guys are going through, and so I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, off the field issues. You know, the the football, you know, is it comes easy, like just teaching them the drills and what to do. But now they have to train their mind to business aspect. You know, in high school and college, they're so used to listening a lot and not really being outspoken. Now you got to make that shift to be outspoken. You know, now you got to handle, you know, your business off the field. You know, you got agents and managers and financial advisors and, and lawyers money, and, and money and money. You know, so I mean, now, yeah. now you got to worry about the business side of sports, and that's where a lot of guys get lost in the mix because they're not used to it. They don't understand it, and you got to be able to make quick, sound, fast decisions that's going to affect how you live the rest of your life. And so, uh, off the field issues are one of the most important things I stress. You know, you got, you know. Family, people, friends, everybody always day-to-day calling, you know what I mean, you know, wanting. So it's the lifestyle that's hard. The football, putting on the pads, is, that's the easy stuff. But the lifestyle that comes with the game now is totally different. So, so okay, let's talk about that for just a second. Mm-hmm. So you hear about all these stories, mm-hmm. like Mike Tyson yes. losing, you know, Four hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. what what have you? Because that's what you're talking about. Yes. You have to manage the stuff. You've obviously been very successful. You've been able to manage that. Mm-hmm. So, so what is a message to the young athletes that maybe you know, you know, that maybe come into a lot of money, have yeah. managers, have agents, have all of these things? What is the message that you send to them? The, the message is clear. Like, look, hey, just pay attention. You know. A lot of guys just don't pay attention to what's going on around them. You know, they don't understand it. You know, if, if I want to be the best football player, I got to understand the game. I got to study the game. I got to learn it. I got to know, know the playbook. Okay, that's the same thing with the playbook to life too as well. Like, you're making this money. You got to be able to understand how everything works and understand, like, the business side of it. And so that's why I stress to guys. It's really, you know, just really understanding everything that goes around. Putting on the pads is easy, but – once the practice is over, well, Pat, putting yeah. on the pads is easy yeah. for a guy your size. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it'd be easy for me. But but after but after you know after all that is said and done, man, it's like okay, you got to be on top of everything at twenty four seven. It never stops because now 
you know, uh, if, if you don't do something they like, new guys are getting brought in every year, you know, so it's a rotating, rotating cycle. You got to perform every day, you know, because people jobs are at stake because the scout that scouted you or the general manager drafted you, if you don't produce, their job is online. So it's constantly, it's the constant flow that you always got to be. And they have to have mentors like you. Yes. Somebody that's been through it, Mm -hmm. that has succeeded, who has done well. Yes. And is, and is, and and, and is giving back. Mm -hmm. You have to have people like that. Because I always, I always joke around, there's, well, maybe this is maybe this is a good analogy. Maybe it's not. But when you know, I always joke around when I became a trial lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't teach you in law school how to try a case. Yeah, there's nothing but going out there and doing it. Yeah, just kind of like with football. Exactly. But they don't teach you in college how to manage managers, yeah. agents, mm-hmm. money, what to do once you start having yes. that having that level of success exactly um and so it's important to have mentors like you doing those things mm-hmm. and um and so they're very lucky yeah. to have you to have you doing that for them yeah so i i i know i appreciate it <laughs> let's talk let's talk a little bit about um some fun stuff mm-hmm. okay first of all I know you got a Wake Forest hat on. Yeah. It's okay. That's okay. I, I brought you this. I, I brought you this Notre Dame mug. You can have it. Yeah. It's good. We're gonna we're gonna shift you over okay. to being an Irishman. But um, but let's talk a little bit about some fun stuff like mm-hmm. like things that happen in the huddle. Okay. Thing like <laughs> what I think I think yeah. the, the the listeners want to know what happens in the huddle. Man, all type of things happens in the huddle. <laughs> uh, you know it's. You, you you got guys that you know you know you respect. I think everybody you know you know respects all the guys. Now you you're gonna play against guys you just don't like. You know, uh, and you know it's it's a lot of fun stuff happen when you're winning. You know, uh, <laughs> but when you're losing, you know it's it's you got a lot of alpha males in the huddle. You right. know, a lot of these guys. Uh, well, y'all been, are alpha yeah, males. Have been the top okay. dogs. From, you know, from when they started playing little league, and so when things are not going, you know, your way you know, personalities come out, you know, and they say when you get to the NFL, you got to be able to have thick skin, you know, right. guys are going to say some things, things are going to happen, but you can't take it personal, right? You just got to, hey, afterwards, shake hands, understand it, and just move on. And so when you win, everything's fine, but when you're losing, in, you got to deal. In that and everything in yeah, life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got you to deal with, what, you know, who's pointing the blame and finger pointing, and also the teams on the other side is hearing that too as well. But I think what the surprising thing is people don't realize is the referees. I think the referees talk more trash than than anybody. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, the referees, <laughs> they, you know, they, listen, they get a front row seat to it, you know. And when that, when that mic is off, you know what I mean, they say some, some crazy things, you know what I mean. So, so I'm curious. So, I interviewed Terry Bradshaw mm-hmm. one time, and and it was he was it, of course he's funny. Yeah, <laughs> he's a funny yeah. guy. But he always said in the huddle, he said it was amazing. Everybody that came in the huddle that was a wide receiver mm-hmm. or a running back was wide open. Yeah, yeah. like why didn't you throw me the ball? <laughs> uh, Drew yeah. Brees. I interviewed Drew Brees, and Drew Brees said the same thing. He's like, I, you, you've got. 18 receptions. Yeah. It's the third quarter. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. But is that is that true? Is everybody when it is, man. Now, I know you were I, you're, you're you're on the defense side. Well, the same thing with defense, especially when, you know, if the defense coordinator is making a call and, you know, guys guys always up to date on their stats. 
like, hey, if I get a couple more tackles, I get a bonus. Or if I get another couple sacks, I get a bonus. So it's one thing when you're seeing this other guy over here getting sacks and you ain't got none yet, and you're like, man, hold on, let's change up some of these play calls. <laughs> you know, let me get some, you know, let me make some plays. And so uh, it's always that, you know. Uh, and, and, and it's the huddle is the huddle. I wish, and it's crazy because I got, I used to get mic'd up a lot because I played Knowles, Garden uh-huh. 3 Technique. And I have like DVDs. Well, of, like, explain what that means. Exactly. So they they put like a microphone like right here on my shoulder right. pads, right? And it's okay. for like hey to pick up signal calls or calls, you know, what other teams are doing. And so they put everything like on a DVD for us to study. So next time we play them, we can understand like what's going on. And but oh, so this isn't being broadcast. This no, it's is, not being. This, it, this it, is for just, this is for you to be able to learn for the next game for the next, for the game. next time he te- exactly the, next time he played them. And so it it picks up everything, you know, <laughs> every play. And I used to get mic'd up like every game, and so I got like DVDs of you know what the actual huddle. What goes on in the huddle, you know, because I was mic'd up and I get to hear it first from everything, you know. So it's just fun to listen to. It is. <laughs> it, it, it still cracks me up even not to this day. Well, you know, Drew Brees said something interesting, and I'm curious about whether this is the same for the defense mm-hmm. huddles. He said, once I got in the huddle, he said, it was mine. Yeah. Nobody talked mm-hmm. other than me. Yeah. He said, that's, that's just when – I, when I interviewed him, he said, mm-hmm. that was it. Yeah. It was done. Yeah, and so as a captain on the defense, was that was that the same? Like once you once you stepped in and said, yeah. "Here's what we're doing." Yeah, boom. No, yeah, it's no? it's no, it's, it's kind of totally different. You know, uh, usually like you know middle linebacker comes in, he gives the call, but if it's something like guys don't want to do, like look, X that, you know, let's let's do this. Here's a working, and sometimes. Defense coordinator is able to, okay, look, you guys are on the field. You guys are actually playing a game. So I think it's about trust, too. Some of the old defensive coordinators will be like, okay, what did you see? Why did you change the call? But you got to have a legit reason, you know. But some of the young guys, young defense coordinators coming in is like, hey, they try to establish dominance, you know. So it's like, hey, what I call is what we're going to run, no matter what. But you also got to have that, that veteran leadership. I mean, I think for some of the older guys, you know, we get the green light more than, like, say, a rookie uh, guy who's in second, third year. Did you did you ever change the call? Yes, you did. Yes. Did you ever get you uh, ever get in sides. trouble? Yeah, <laughs> hey, if it worked, <laughs> if I changed the call, if it worked, it worked. But Kinda if it didn't back work, to, if oh, you're winning, goodness. it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> but if it didn't work, then you get the you know you, you know you're gonna get an earful. You know, then they're gonna call you out in meetings and you know whatever. But hey, it's. It's just a, a gamble you take, right? So, yeah. t- so tell our listeners a little bit about you know your head coaches, mm-hmm. like you know good qualities, bad. You know, I don't I don't want you to insult yeah. people, yeah. but good, good qualities and bad qualities. I, I, yeah. I, you know, growing up, I've had good bosses, I've had bad mm-hmm. bosses. Yeah. Um, but tell 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 the the listeners a little bit about that. You know, I think what got me going in college, I had a great coach, Jim Caldwell. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great, respectful guy. He, you know, uh, knew a bunch of NFL greats, coached a lot of NFL great coaches. Uh, but he kind of really set the tone, of, you know, just from like the leadership standpoint and how to respect coaches. You know, I have to agree with them all the time, but you know, it's their program, <laughs> right? You, yeah. This is how they run the team. You're the coach. Yeah, you're the coach. And so when I got to uh, Minnesota, when I was drafted. Uh, Dennis Green, great coach. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a, you know, he was a veteran coach. Uh, and the veterans say, look, if Chris Carter came in, they coach, you know, we need we need a day off. We need to relax. He respect that, you know, because he know the 
he trusts those guys. I need, gonna, I need to, I need to let yeah. my muscles rest. I need, yeah. To. And he always said, "Look, I don't, I don't believe in finding guys. You know, if I feel like I got to find you, I might as well just cut you. You know." And so that was his uh, ordeal. You know, but he was a great coach. And then when I got to New York, I had Tom Coughlin. You know, and I'm like, "Oh my yeah, goodness, yeah. Tom Coughlin." Yeah, the stories about him. But he just, he loved football so much. He was passionate about it. You know, and he had a five minute rule. He said all the clocks in the building five minutes ahead. And then you had to be five minutes earlier than what the clock says, you know, <laughs> to all the meetings. He fined guys, you know, for everything, whether it's if you forgot your playbook or you didn't bring pencils or notepads to the meetings or uh, if you're overweight or uh, if you're underweight. I mean, everything he can find you for, he will find you for. But he was really teaching us, and you know, like, hey, look, you got to be a professional, right? You know, I come with this in a professional manner. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need how you need to handle yourself, you know. And a lot of times, guys had a hard time with that because they'd never been around a coach who did anything like that. And so, it took a while for him to get used to us and us get used to him. But you know, once everybody on the same page, you know, a couple of years, we on the Super Bowl, you know. So, so okay, all right. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of coming, you know, how did you manage? Obviously, you've been very successful. You continue to be very successful. How did you manage going from the college ranks to the pros? Because mm-hmm. I got to imagine, and yeah. I don't know. I never. Mm-hmm. I never. <laughs> it, it might shock you, but yeah. I've never played professional football. Yeah. But um, but how did you manage that shift? Mm-hmm. Because it's. I, I imagine it's got to be a big culture shift. Yeah, it's a big culture shift. Um, I think I have you know uh, some veteran guys tell me I had a great John Randall. Uh, Hall of Fame defense lineman. Uh, he was like, "Listen, you know, you got to treat this like a job, right?" He was like, "It's people who work a nine to five, right?" He was like, "You know, they might be buddies in the office, but after five o'clock, they don't want to see each other again to the next day." Football is the same way. You're not gonna get along with everybody. Everybody's right. not your friend because it's a competition. Money's involved, right? Money's involved, stats money. involved. He's like, look, you're a rookie, you're twenty, you're twenty-two years old, no wife, no kids, no responsibilities, right? He said, You're competing against some guys who in their thirties, married with three or four kids. So their approach is a little bit different than yours, right? And so I learned from an early age then, like, okay, how to really treat this as a business, right? To understand like everything that goes on, you know what I mean? And like how it is a day to day fight. You know, and I think that's what really kind of helped me throughout my years how I approached it. I mean, if I, I've asked guys for, for help on how to understand, you know, things I didn't understand, and they wouldn't tell me because some veteran guys look at me as competition, you know, and they would not tell me a single word. So I really had, I learned that early on in the first couple of years is, look, okay, this is a business. I'm not going to be cool with everybody, but I do have to respect it, and I think that's what made me uh, have the qualities I do have not to continue. So, so all right, let's talk a little bit about competition because I, it's funny you say mm-hmm. that because when I was in law school, I treated law school as a job. Yeah. I got up. I went to work. I did my job. Mm-hmm. I did whatever I needed to do yeah. to get through. But one of the things that drives me is – the competition and the love of competition mm-hmm. and the love of, of of going out there and competing against other people, trying cases, yeah. you know. 
So how do you deal with now? Because professional athletes like you, I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're yeah. a young man. Yeah. <laughs> so so how how do you deal with that? How do you deal with losing? This probably sounds bad, but not having that competitive nature. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got the competitive nature. Mm-hmm. That's not the right phrase. About losing the ability to go out there and put the pads on and go out there and try to win. Yeah. I think now, I think that's why I got so into training guys now because I miss that competitive edge. I miss that lifestyle. And now I'm able to teach a little bit better. You know what I mean? And now I wish I, what I know now, which I knew then, I would have been a better player, you know. And I never forget that. I remember when I first got to uh, uh, the Vikings, right? And you were going to the training camp, and we have like uh, 16 guys. Now, defense line coach said, hey, listen, we're only going to keep eight, right? So we got 16 guys in the training camp. We're only going to keep eight. I already know who six is going to be, right? <laughs> So now you really got eight guys competing for two spots, and they put you on the spot. Today, Fred, okay, is between you and Troy in front of the whole team, right? The whole team in a team meeting going to know, okay, this is going to come down to me or you today, right? And being able – being put on the spot like that is like how am I going, how are you going to respond, right? And that's what some teams do on purpose to see, okay – are you? Do I have to self motivate you, or do I have to say like mean things to be that blatant to get out of you what I know you're capable of doing, right? And so that's I learned that on from the first day I got to the Vikings, you know, and seeing your name when when you used to see your name from when I first started in high school, you know, Fred, you know, number one the top defense lineman. Even when I got to college, I started you know four years of redshirt freshman. And all of a sudden, I'm back down to the bottom of the barrel. Well, I'm in that bottom eight. And I've got to fight against other seven guys for a roster spot. Who every day the coach say, "Look, okay, this is a competition between you two guys," and everybody on the team knows it. So that competitive edge now I can teach that a little bit more, and is able I can get my point across a little bit better. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, taking it outside of football for mm-hmm. a minute. You're obviously an incredible leader in our community. You yeah. are an incredible leader. Uh, you, you know. Uh, oh, you know, just an incredible leader. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about uh, a few things going on. We just ended Black History Month. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, didn't end it. Mm-hmm. Uh, H.K. Matthews. I had H.K. Yeah, uh, recently, who's obviously a civil rights icon. Yes. He made a comment to me that has resonated in my mind mm-hmm. ever since I, I interviewed him a few weeks ago. Um, that it's not Black History. It's American history. American history. It's American history. Yeah. And he, 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 obviously, HK made several profound statements mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> but, but let's talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on in yeah. America and in Florida mm-hmm. um, about, you know, this whole banning of, uh, of, of black history. Yeah. Not being able to teach kids black history. Mm-hmm. Tell, me, tell me what your thoughts are on that. Oh, I think it's, like you said, it's not really black history. It's it's just American history. I mean, if you look at any other profession, um, law, you studied lawyers, whether they were, were, you know, black, white, whatever race, you studied to make you a better lawyer. I studied football no matter what the defense line position, defense, no matter what race you've done it, I studied to make myself as, as a better player to understand the game a lot better. 
there's no difference in education. I think we all can learn from, you know, our past, you know, to see what people have gone through, um, you know, no matter what profession we're in, to see what other people have, have gone through and what they did to make uh, America better again, you know, to make this community better again. And I think we just can't forget that there's no, like, where we've been and how much room, how much work it still need to be done, right? Building those relationships, being able to sit down with HK, being able to sit down here with you, build those relationships to other, let people understand, like, hey, I just don't hang around athletes every day, right? Yeah. I just don't do football 24-7, right? I think more people just need to really get involved in the community stuff to understand what's going on in their own neighborhoods, right, their own cities to make everything better. Don't be afraid to – you know, you know, you know, speak to someone different and new because that's what they make you do in every profession, you know, is do something different. Don't speak to the same people. Learn how to be a, 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 a jack of all trades, master of all. You know, I think pe- more people need to sit down and have, you know, uh, these type of, you know, conversations. So so what do you think is the message if if you're talking to kids, which I know you do a lot, mm-hmm. if you're talking to kids, what is the message to young uh, black children, okay, mm-hmm. in terms of where we are in America, where we are with race relations. Because when I talked to HK, I, I made the comment, I said, the fight is still on. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And look, and look what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's legislation being passed to ban books yeah. from schools, mm-hmm. to not talk about race, you know, uh, uh, black history. Yeah. I mean, all these things. What is what? What do you tell when a young when a young when a young child comes up to you mm-hmm. and says, you know, Coach, tell me what tell me what to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tell them the things I did. You know, regardless, if I was to say, hey, you know, someone to tell me, hey, you're not going to be a football player, am I going to believe that and not do it? You know, or do I know what I'm capable of doing? I can, you know, continue to do that. And I tell kids to take the same aspect, you know what I mean? Like, and build relationships, right? You know, you just can't hang around your peers, other black kids, right? You, you got to do something different. You got to be, you know, you got to talk to people that you don't normally talk to and have these conversations. Be right. friends. But I think the problem is people just don't believe in relationships anymore, building those relationships. And, now, and also, I would say that the problem is also the parents, you know, exposure is, is a huge thing for me, right? If you haven't been exposed to anything else outside of what you normally do daily, then, of course, everything's going to be separated, right? Exposure is so key. Kids need to understand, like, what other people are doing in other places, right, to make their place better, right? And just exposure with other kids, other races, and having these uncomfortable conversations. You and I can sit here and talk about sports, right? You can, I can sit here and talk about race, but how many other people out here that can say that? They just keep it. And another problem is, is when they brought race into play in the sports, right, with the whole kneeling. I think that really just really separated, you know, things as well, too, as what well, you know, <laughs> which is another conversation where I think that just separated, you know, things as a whole, too, as well. Is now you brought sports was a way for me to get away from all the distractions, right, to get away from daily life. That helped elevate me. Now, when you bring race into the sports arena, now you separate teams, you separate teammates, you separate the ownership, you separate fans. And so now, how do we get back to building those relationships and having uncomfortable conversations where 
you and I can talk about this all you know all Unco- day. Uncomfortable how many other, conversations. Yeah, how many other people can say that? They don't want to. They just want to have the the easy, relaxed conversations, you know, but until you know, we have enough people having these uncomfortable conversations. Things are never going to change. Somebody sent me somebody sent me a photo yesterday, maybe the day before yesterday, um, outside the Sanger Theater mm-hmm. that had colored entrance yeah. around back. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and it, it was amazing to me that that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I mean that was in our generations. Yeah, that was that that was not that long ago, mm-hmm. and so we still have a lot of work to do in terms of in, in in terms of those relationships and how we deal with each other. And I love I yeah. love your phrase uncomfortable yeah. conversations. Yeah, I love it. You have to have uncomfortable because I've always said, listen, I don't understand I don't understand different people's cultures mm-hmm. unless I sit down and talk unless to you them. Sit down and talk with me exactly. Okay, I may not have I, I may not agree with your yes. religion. Mm-hmm. I may not agree with your 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 viewpoint on things. Yes, but I want to have the conversation so we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And if we stop talking about it, yeah, then we lose. Exactly. That's what we do. We lose. And that's what's frustrating to me about some of the legislation that's mm-hmm. being proposed yeah. right now because it seems like it's everything to quiet yeah. the the conversation. Yes. Nobody wants to nobody wants to have the exactly. the, the black white, the brown, yeah. whatever you want to talk mm-hmm. about. Any conversations about that. And yeah. that's that that is what where we fail as a country. Yeah, that's what that's where that happens, and that's what's kind of contradicting because I look at the approach even when I you know train guys like when I train these guys now, some guys are setting their ways, but I have to know their background to understand like how can I coach you better, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing when you, when you talk about race. Look, you don't have to like it, but you got to res- at least respect it, understand where I'm coming from, and understand like listen, hey, you know you can have two different people read the same book and write a paper that's totally different, right? And so you just can't just say, oh, I talked to this person and that's, and you take that one answer and think that's, they, that's it for everyone, right? Some people, that's my dad's age, 70, you know, 76, 77, that's his age that he went to school with who never left Pensacola, right? So their thought process is going to be totally different from mine, from someone who had the exposure to go off to college, you know, to go live in the Midwest, in the east, you know, down right. south. I've been to different places, and I understand, you know, how people are. I have that exposure. So you can't just take people who just never left Pensacola and think that's it. Their thought process is not going to be the same. So you got to have uncomfortable conversations with people who never left, people who did have exposure, and that's how we make things better. So let's talk just for a second about um – Obviously, this big shift mm-hmm. with the NIL, yeah. the name, image, likeness. Mm-hmm. Talk. I mean, are you in favor of that? Do you do you think that's a good? Do you think that's a good move for sports, or do you think that's a negative? Or what do you think? Or do you think? And we can get into whole yeah. the whole issue of paying college football yes. players, yeah. playing uh, paying college, you know, all college yeah. athletes. But yeah. tell me what your thoughts are on that, man. It t- Two different angles I'm going to come at. It. Okay. One is, we, we talked about this earlier. We believe in competition. Right. Competition makes us better. Right. Absolutely. The NIL, I think, is shifting away from that. It's allowing kids who are afraid of competition to go somewhere else. 
right? Instead of working it out, I, I was reading uh, uh, Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. He was saying yeah. he, he disagrees with the NIL. He said, I played behind Patrick Peterson, and I think uh, another first-round defensive back. He said, that's who made me who I am today because I played behind those guys at LSU. It elevated and it, him. And it elevated me to play better and stick it out and learn how to, you know, fight and play harder and do this. That part is getting taken out of sports, the competitive. You know, I, I think that's what I don't like about it. On the other side, the NIL, I do think guys should get something. But the problem is, is some schools are doing it the right way and some doing it the wrong way. And it's not that they even doing it the wrong way. It's just it's legal now. Right, and so if you look at a small school like Wake, it's been going on for years. If you look at a small school like Wake Forest, we got like four forty five hundred students undergrad. Right, okay, we can't compete with Texas A and M, who's probably got the richest budget in all of college football. Right, so our pitch to the NCAA is, look, hey, that's not fair. Right, we're not a big school like Texas A and M. You know. How are we going to get paid? Text them saying to the NCAA, that ain't our fault. You know, and so now you got schools who are kind of doing it two different ways. If Wake Forest comes in and tells the kid, look, hey, man, we're going to offer you a scholarship in the NIL. You know, we give you, you know, $50,000 a year for the next, you know, four years, right? And we're going to put it in an account for you that way you can have when you, when you get out of college. Then you got another school saying, look, hey, well, we give you $8 million. Right. Right. Now, what do you think the parents want? Right. So now that's another problem. Parents are like, hey, we don't want the 50000 Let's go for this eight mil. Right? right. But the stipulations might be high. It might be a lot of work this kid has to do. And if it doesn't work out, okay, you don't get no $8 million. So I think that's kind of like the problem with NIL. There's no structure to it. Okay. Right. You got every school is just different. Boom, 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 boom. And now what are kids leaning to now most? The money. Right, they don't even think about sports. I can't remember the last time I heard a kid say, when I asked a kid, look, what do you want to major in? I get no answer. Right, because they don't even know now. It's all about NIL. And that's what the parents are gearing these kids towards. Who, who, who's going to come with the <coughs> most money? One week, somebody come in and say, okay, your son gets a scholarship. But the next week, somebody comes in and say, hey, we're going to offer your kid $5 million. So, so, okay, so ultimately going down the road, does it hurt sports? Or does it help sports? I think it's hurting. Yeah, okay. I do. I mean, if not everybody – it works for guys like Joe Burrow, like mm-hmm. if you're a quarterback. I mean, it works for guys like that, right? But how many guys can actually look themselves in the mirror and say, okay, I'm that I'm that caliber guy right now? You got guys who transfer only after like a year or two, okay. right, because they're seeing what everybody else get and think they're going to get that. You know what I mean? But like you, well, you talked about earlier, you know, are you that one-and-a-half percent guy? You know, and I think that's the problem with hurting sports, you know, and there's no structure to it at all. I think that's that's the main focus. So so I think our listeners would like to know, what do you miss most about the game? The camaraderie, just being around. I don't miss everything I had to do, like all the running and lifting and all that other stuff. But <laughs> I just think like – Well, you still do yeah. all that, though. You just train just other think, people yeah, to do the, it. The, the camaraderie, man, just the, uh, the, uh, the, the relationships I've built with guys, the locker room, the – the away trips, just to, because you know every guy is different, and uh, just to, I remember when I was with the Giants, you know our coach made a different guy every night during training camp, stand up and just say little things about you. Nothing football, just life. What you went through, some of your obstacles you had to overcome, some of your adversity moments, and you learn a lot about 
guys who've been through a lot more worse situations than you, you know, and I think that's what I miss the most is just knowing everybody's path was different, right, and just learning what those guys went through and how they made them who they are. And I think that's what helped mold me and shape me into, you know, being a leader because I see, man, that guy stuck it out and did this. You know, I can add, I can apply that to my life, right? And used to seeing that, having that in a locker room every day. Now I don't have that. You know, you don't you, you don't have it like every day like you used to have it. You know, I think right. that's what I miss about the game the most. And that's, I think that's why I like training these guys now because it helps me be around the game, you know, but out of it at the same time, you know. Well, well you do an incredible job. Yeah. And, uh, and I can tell you this. Super Bowl champion, icon, philanthropist, yeah. businessman. Um, we're lucky to have you in our community. Thank you. I appreciate we're it. very lucky to have yeah. you in our community, and um, and I applaud you, and I and I and I pray that you stay and oh, you yeah. keep doing all your great work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to yeah. thank you, Fred, for being here. Well, thank you. Um, and once again, I want to thank you for everything you do for our community. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you all.